0: And then it, it says he's undefiled, meaning immaculate. It means both undefiled and being incapable of defilement. What was the first condition for a lawful entry into the sanctuary for anyone? Anyone can answer this question. What, what was the first requirement before you could even step in through the courtyard gates? What did you have to do first, right? Anyone? The priests, before performing their divine service, especially the high priest on the day of atonement, were to what?
1: Wash, wash, wash wash, right.
0: wash, yeah. wash, wash, wash. And we see it here in the Torah portion, in Leviticus chapter 8 and verse 6, we read that the first thing that Moses did when he brought Aaron and his sons, what did he do? He washed them. <laughs> wash or bathe to remove uncleanness, ritual uncleanness. But of our high priest, not only is it said that he is free from every kind of uncleanness, but he's incapable of contracting uncleanness. He's like the element fire, which purifies other things without itself contracting any impurity. And the fourth thing, where is he right now? Where is he right now? Separated from sinners. Nothing unclean can come close to him physically. Now, to disturb his purity or his heavenly being. He's so separated from evil men so as to be sacrosanct, untouchable by them. Listen to what he said to the Judeans in John chapter seven, the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees had sent um, officers to arrest him. And then he said, uh, when they came, he said for a little while longer, I am with you. Then I go to him who sent me. You shall seek me and not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. Messiah will be taken away as it says in Isaiah 53 from the vexations of the presence of evil men. And from all the ungodly judgments right now he is withdrawn from the upsetting contract with evil men. And finally, in respect to his present mode of existence, what is he higher above the heavens, higher above the heavens. In other words, he's now lifted up above all the created heavens into the uncreated eternal heaven itself, the, the, the place of God's abode. The first three attributes, as I said, holy, innocent, and undefiled describe the Lord Yeshua in his high priestly character as the anti-type of Aaron and in his humanity, gracious, immaculate, worthy of honor and respect. The last two attributes, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens, speak of the super celestial exaltation of his royal priesthood in which he is, as Lord said, the anti-type of Melchizedek and truly has beneath his feet all the heavens and all the earth and everything that is in them hallelujah to our high priest
2: hallelujah. Hallelujah. hallelujah hallelujah
0: to the holy one of israel he has made a way for sinful mankind to be to be reconciled to him through yeshua or savior or messiah or high priest Anyone else want to jump in here with a comment or a
3: question? Let's give them the sacrifices. Hear my voice and obey. We don't obey. You say, okay, I'm going to send my own son. I am going to come make myself a sacrifice for you. It's just, for me, it's just like, wow. Like, how much can you love me more than this? It just, um, and we don't have to do anything but accept it. You know, it's just like, it's not that to do anything. We just have to obey him and, and, and serve him. And, and, you know, I, I don't know, I, sometimes I don't have words to describe how I feel and what this just kind of come and inside of me and stuff. Um, so that's for me, when I was reading this, that's what keep coming to my mind that you came down, you made yourself a sacrifice for us, what a love. In love.
0: yes yes what a love indeed and like you said all we have to do is trust all we have to do is believe all we have to do and in trusting and believing we will obey that comes naturally so so yeah he's done he's done it all he's done everything for us all we have to do is just trust in him yeah. hallelujah thank you joanna anyone else Okay, if there's no one else, let's uh, move on to other things. Let's do the blessing for the wine and the bread. So you have your wine or grape juice or other beverage. Let's uh, bless Yah for his uh, provision of joy. Join with me. Baruch atah Yahuwah, Eloheinu melech haolam,
4: Amen. Blessed are you, Yah
0: o Elohim, King of the Universe, Creator of the Fruit of the Vine. Father, we thank you for the Vine of David, O Messiah Yeshua. He said, He is the Vine and we are the branches. May we always remain in Him so we can be fruitful for your kingdom. Taste and see. That yeah,
5: Yah is, is good, l'chaim, good. Fine. Fine.
0: Fine. fine. We don't work on Shabbat because Yah provides us a double portion for it. Let's bless him for his provision, the blessing for the bread. Baruch Yahuwah, Eloheinu melech haolam, Amen. Blessed are you, Yah, O Elohim, King of the Universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. Father, we thank you for this bread we need it for life on the earth. We thank you, Father, mostly, Father, for the bread sent down from heaven, of which we may partake and never taste death. Thank you for the bread of life, O Messiah Yeshua.
3: Amen. Amen. Okay,
0: so now we're going to recite uh, Psalm 150, we'll get it uh, queued up here, and then we'll have uh, about 20 minutes or so of some, just some music, songs where we can just rejoice before our Creator, and thank Him for His, his goodness to us. Psalm 150, join with us.
4: Hallelujah. Praise Yah in His sanctuary. Praise Him in the firmament of His power. Praise Him for His mighty acts. Praise Him as befits the abundance of His greatness. Praise Him with the blast of the shofar. Praise Him with the lyre and harp.
0: Praise Him with drum and dance. Praise Him with organ and flute. Praise Him with cymbals clanging. Praise Him with trumpets resounding. Let all souls praise Yah, Hallelujah, and Shabbat shalom, everyone. Shabbat, shabbat, shabbat shalom. shalom.
6: Good to see you, Carl. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Start with because numbers is based entirely on the foundation that's laid by Genesis and Exodus. If one doesn't know or understand the foundational context. From a Midbar, then one will invariably misunderstand what's going on, particularly as regards to all these God-ordained rituals. Yes, the Midbar has, of course, a lot of ritual woven into it. After all, the prescribed narratives, or rather the prescribed rituals of Leviticus had only within the last several weeks before the events of Numbers Even been introduced, written, and put into practice. They're very new. Modern day scholars, particularly modern day evangelical Christians, don't much like rituals as a rule. In fact, this distaste for rituals isn't new. Most post Enlightenment era Christian scholars make no bones about disliking ritual, and it shows up in their backhanded swipes at the Torah commandments and their superficial study and investigation into the role of the Levite priests, especially. And since most seminaries teach, according to the values and the conclusions of those same scholars, the aversion to either doing ritual or even seeing value in the ancient Hebrew ritual practices has carried over to the whole church in general. Further, as we've discussed before, the church has essentially discarded any sense of communal responsibility. And in its place, it's adopted individualism as the platform for action or the expression of our faith. Now, this disdain for ritual as a comfortable companion in individual-oriented denominational theologies, and so the lens through which the Torah is now viewed, and most especially the Western Christian attitude is this personal freedom personal independence and spontaneity that's good organized ritual is bad the majority uh, the, 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 rather the uh, majority um, believe this way there is an exception in some ways in that the Catholic Church plays a much higher Uh, places a much higher value on ritual. I have to tell you honestly that having been raised in the Protestant branch of the church being mostly a product of the Jesus movement of the 60s and 70s, I had a really hard time adjusting to accept celebrating the biblical feasts and the Sabbath and so on. It's not that I didn't think it was good for me and for my family, nor did I even argue that it's God's commandments. It's simply not what i would known all my life. So it was work set aside what's comfortable, what's usual in exchange for what is biblically prescribed. But now it has become comfortable and usual and what a blessing it is. Even if you do not see the value in your involvement in biblical ritual, I can assure you that understanding the Torah rituals is the key to understanding the Torah, as well as God's plan for mankind. Anthropologists have for a long time known that if they're going to understand a society, usually an ancient, but sometimes a modern one, they must begin with that society's rituals. Because rituals are the foremost public and observable statements of any society's true values. Listen to what M. Wilson, a a, 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 a noted anthropologist, said about a half century ago about the importance of rituals in Defining Culture, said this, Rituals reveal values at their deepest level. Men express in ritual what moves them the most. And since the form of expression is conventionalized and obligatory, ritual reveals the values of the group. I see in the study of rituals the key to an understanding of the essential constitution of human society. Uh-uh. I don't think there's a more ignored or disliked, therefore more terribly misunderstood subject in the Bible than the rituals that are associated with sacrifice. Yet there is rarely a pastor or a Bible teacher who would not regularly point out that Jesus fulfilled the very sacrificial system that they don't like. And they know nothing about it. As Gordon Wenham points out, the sacrificial system is at the heart of biblical worship. It's unavoidable. So, while it may not be entirely comfortable for us, we need to study. We need to understand the rituals of the Torah because the entire purpose of these rituals revolves around communication between God and man. These rituals explain the essence of our relationship with the God of the Bible. These rituals for the ancients were like our going to the movies today. The visual element is needed and it's a desired thing for understanding. So very powerful in human beings. The church today has few rituals left that Actively involves the worshiper Mainly baptism and communion But not much else The problem with this Is that what we now have For ritual If you would Is one sided Somebody performs We watch Somehow or another Our mere presence Counts as personal worship That was not the essence of Biblical ritual, Old Testament or New. Now, as I've made clear, except for sacrifices that were on behalf of the priests or the entire community, the worshiper was an active participant. It was he who killed the sacrificial animal. The worshiper was required on three occasions each year to make a pilgrimage to the temple. worshiper was required to set aside his normal work, cease almost all productive activity and rest on the Sabbath the worshiper was required to build and live in a sukkah during Sukkot, Easter Tabernacle active participation in ritual was the norm it was healthy, it was useful now how easy it is for us to sing Billy Graham's famous call to the altar, just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. Love that song. How much more would those words mean to us as if as we were singing then we were dragging a half-ton bull behind us up to an altar, one that we had raised, cost us a lot of money to do that, We drag it up to the altar, tie it to one of the four altar horns, and then we slit its neck. We watch its life, its earthly value, drain away in a second. That would be a little different, spirit. The point is, these biblical rituals should not be lost on us. And as we revisit them in the book of Numbers, they're no longer just idealism. They're not just theory. So pay close attention to them because their underlying principles are what the unchanging Lord God is trying to teach us. Watch as we explore Bamidbar, Numbers, for even more emerging God patterns. Patterns that will show themselves mightily in the New Testament. One of the most interesting patterns, I believe, is that of the Nazarite. And when I say Nazarite, don't confuse that with Nazarene or Nazareth, Yeshua's home. A Nazarite is a non-Levite and a non-priest who has been set apart for service to God by means of a vow and thus has an elevated holy status as compared to uh, other Israelites. In modern day terms, while a Levite priest is the clergy, a Nazarite is a layman. Put another way, taking the vow of a Nazarite was a way for a person who was not a natural member of the priestly tribe of Levi. To be declared holy and and fit for service to God, generally on par with a priest. The similarity between a priest and a Nazarite becomes obvious when we study the rituals that are prescribed for a Nazirite. They're almost identical with what is prescribed for a priest. We're going to look at these rituals, which contain the essence of the spiritual meaning of their purpose. We'll get to an appropriate point in our study of Numbers. But for now, just understand that a priest is a priest by birth. He has a birthright to be a priest because he's born into the proper tribe. A Nazarite, on the other hand, is just an ordinary Israelite. He's a person who has no right to be a priest because he wasn't born into the right tribe. Yet God has made a provision for those who are not Levites but still want to serve him to be able to do that. By faith, by trust in God, by God's declaration, this person, this Nazarite, who's foreign to the priesthood, is allowed to take on a special holiness equal. difference is the Nazarite cannot perform sanctuary duties this is a model hope you're up your heads were kind of spinning when I was telling you this this is a model of how a Gentile who is a foreigner to Israel can if he so desires be brought by the declaration of God into the service of God under the covenants of Israel In other words, the Nazarite is a model and it's a pattern of how a Gentile, who's not born into the chosen people, can become a believer and worship the God of Israel. Physically speaking, a Jew and a Gentile are different. A Jew has an advantage in that he is born into the covenants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But a Gentile is not Physically A priest and a Nazirite Are different A priest is of the tribe of Levi A Nazirite is not Spiritually A Jew and a Gentile Who trust God Are now made equal In status before the Lord Spiritually A priest and a Nazirite Are made equal In status before the Lord They each have different roles. The one was born into his role. The other had to be grafted in, so to speak. But in both cases, they're under the same covenants. The point here is that we're going to see these patterns and principles appear in the New Testament. Paul speaks about And he uses the incidents recorded in Numbers, especially to make his point that Yeshua fulfilled the patterns and the principles of the Torah. But, and this is so essential to grasp in these days and the days that are just ahead of us. Paul also makes the point that if the already redeemed Israelites rebel, they get punished for it in ancient times, as told of in the book of Numbers. Why would a believer, redeemed by the blood of Yeshua, think we can be rebellious and then escape God's uh, God's harsh hand of punishment upon us? Why would we think that? I'd like to close this preparation for the study of the Midbar Numbers with the words of a man whose works I greatly admire, and I find myself usually in lockstep with, Gordon Wenham. He's a wonderful Christian scholar who teaches in Gloucester College of Higher Education in England. And he says this about the importance of understanding and accepting the value of biblical ritual for the modern Christian. He says this. Similarly, the sacrificial offerings of animals and flour and oil and wine prescribed in Numbers are no longer valid expressions of Christian worship because they point beyond themselves to the one atoning sacrifice of Christ which has made them obsolete. Yet, Christians are still reminded, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good or to share in what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. The principle of wholehearted. Dedication to the worship of God Links the Old and New Testaments Even if our mode of devotion Has been altered Similarly, if the tithe Remains a norm for Christian giving It may be noted That some believers Evidently gave much more If much of the biblical Legislations can't be applied Today, its thoroughness And attention to detail should Challenge the modern church To ask whether our casual attitudes may not just be a cloak for our indifference. Gordon Wenham is not calling to restart the sacrificial rituals. But this is a reminder to us that so many of the biblical rituals that take their form and say, biblical feasts, while in no way needed for atonement or for salvation are indeed needed they're needed to teach they're needed to remind to teach and to remind us of God's principles of his laws and commandments that was appointed times of how important it is to live our lives in rhythm in harmony with the universe that he created rather than out of tune. The book of Numbers is historic, it's worshipful. it's instructive, and at times it's very poetic. And having studied the first three books of Torah, I think you're now prepared to drink in and to grasp the awesome revelations that are gonna provide so many connecting links to the works of Yeshua HaMashiach. That saving attribute or person of the Lord God Almighty. We'll get into that next week. So, please write.
0: Okay, folks. There you have Tom's introduction to the book of Numbers. I thought it was a pretty good uh, teaching by Tom. I'm going to... Um, I'm just going to make a couple of comments before I open it up to everyone for discussion. Uh, let me see, where is it? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, a couple of things that he meant. Uh, one at the start, where Tom talked about um, how long Israel was in Egypt. Before they left, right, and in this slide here, and I think the next one too. He, you know, he's talking about being in there in Israel, sorry, in Egypt for uh, four hundred years, four hundred thirty years, or whatever it was. Um, I, and I know a lot of uh, you know teachers teach that, but this is not correct. And I, I think um, I've shared a video with most of you folks already about about this very topic. Uh, so just to know, you know, I've. I don't believe that Tom and others who say they were in Egypt for 400 days correct. It's not correct. It's not possible mathematically. It's less than 215 years, in fact. Uh, and if you're not familiar with that concept, I, I ask you to have a look at a, on YouTube for a video titled How Long Were the Israelites in Egypt? That's, that's the title of it. How long were the Israelites in Egypt? Let me see if I can pull it up here for you. If you haven't seen it. Yeah, here it is. So it's this first one here. There's a few of them basically saying pretty much the same thing. This one is 12 and a half minutes long. Uh, you can watch it at your own time and it gives a very good accounting of the time using you know, biblical data. That, and that turns out to be less than 215 years. They could not have been there any longer than that. Uh, so that's the one thing I wanted to talk about. If you're not familiar, you could check that out.
4: The other thing
0: I didn't quite understand, and maybe, you know, maybe some folks can help me out here. I'm not, like he talked about, um, you know, rituals, I had no problem with that. The Nazarite, he made the case that the Nazarite model, in, in, sorry, the Nazarite is a model of how a Gentile can be brought under the covenants of Israel. And I don't think I got it, to be honest. I really don't think I got it. I don't see, you know, I didn't see that parallel between, you know, uh, a non levite taking a vow, a Nazarite vow, and uh, and how that made him Equal status with the priest, especially since he, he can't serve in the temple. I mean, the most, the you know, the the biggest difference between a Levite and a non-Levite was that you get to serve somehow in the temple in one way or the other. But uh, you know, a Nazarite never does. So I don't, I don't get the connection that he was trying to make there. Like I said, maybe uh, somebody can explain that to me. So that said let me uh, open the floor up for your comments uh, questions or your thoughts on this teaching overall i thought it was a pretty good teaching There's those two things that i didn't really although one about the the dates definitely i think is wrong the other one i don't um i don't understand okay before we go any further let me just say linda linda has joined us shabbat shalom linda glad you could be with us and, uh, who is this, Claudia?
3: Shabbat Shalom.
0: Oh, Anthony. Did I not say hello to Anthony? I
3: don't
0: remember. Anthony, Shabbat Shalom to you. I think I may have missed you when you came in. You Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom.
4: May I say something? Yeah. Okay. Um, the next to It's a vow, and he says that, uh Anybody can take a Nazarite vow, which is true. But how can how can you become a surgeon in Israel by taking a Nazarite vow? That's not what a Nazarite vow is for.
0: No, I don't think he was saying that. I don't think he was saying you can join Israel by taking a Nazarite vow. But it's basically um, basically saying because God has uh, God has ordained a way for a Nazarite to achieve a higher status through his word, same way uh, a
7: non-Israelite
8: can join to Israel Israel by
0: like following the, you know, God's own um rituals, if you will. Okay. I don't, know, I don't know if I explained that well. Yeah. That's, that's all he's getting at. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, Shelley, I see your hand.
9: So, as you just said, he wasn't saying that that's we. What he's saying is it's setting a pattern. And a, in terms of a model, the, the model is not taking an as right vow to be as a Gentile and coming in. But the model is how somebody who is not born into it, that's the model. He set out a pattern where those that like, so the Levites are from the tribe of Levi. This one has this rule. How does somebody attain to that? And he's saying there's a, so God has in mind, there's a model where you can be separate. So when he talked about that Nazarite model, two individuals came to mind. When Ruth as a Moabitess makes the vow, your God will be my God your people my people she gained status as a gentile she comes under the covenant the other one is the story of samuel when hannah prayed for samuel she vowed that if god gave her son she would give him back and he went and he served in the priesthood yes he didn't do sanctuary stuff but we see in the days of judges where they were raised up. So as you said, I am not seeing it. Those were the two things that came to mind, and I'm not interpreting it to mean, because we read, as he says, we're going to read where there are, what a Nazarite is, there are strict rules, there are things you have to do. But yeah. what he's saying is, we're watching the principles of God. So God has laid out an order, and he's showing how those outside of the things he's doing, how they enter. And so the Nazarite is just one of those types of patterns as well. So that's how I understood it.
0: Okay, thanks, it's Shelley. That that helps me a lot, actually, when you put it that way. That helps me a lot. Thanks for that. Um, Sharon, I see your hand.
1: Um, I like the teaching so far, and I think I'm going to enjoy um, the Book of Numbers. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. And the only problem issue I had had was... Um, with the 400 years in egypt also because i've studied a few uh different um um books and it does it's around 215 years it it's not 400 years um that they were in israel for so that was the only thought thing that made me go but i don't think that's right yeah that was that was it okay uh Thanks, Sharon.
5: Uh Rochelle. Thanks so much, hello everyone. I'm teaching, um, and as a matter of fact, I thought about you, when he talked about rituals. Um, I was—it's when he said that um, that most uh, believers like rituals I it it was sort of like a light bulb for me because I never quite understood um why there was such a resistance you know when when I would invite a friend um or whenever they came and and participated or or either uh, you know take them to to a synagogue or or anything like that it was it was always you know it was a bit of um of a turnoff to be honest and to the point where they wouldn't even listen to what, um, you know, the, 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 the preacher or the, the speaker had to say. And, um, and I'm saying this, uh, Antoinette, if she's still on online, I remember you, we, we had this, just, we've had these discussions, how, you know, it was because of your cath- catholic uh, background it was so easy for you to to accept um you know uh the hebrew roots of of our faith but um i i, I do remember when i first came into uh congregation uh mele it, it, I, I i must say it was it was a little bit too orthodoxy for me at first, and especially the, the 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 you know the reading of of the Torah and you know the the half half not the half Torah but you had like the Ali I, anyway. But I was just I was like now I I understand it's because and we don't even realize it's just that it's it's ingrained in us. I think he said something. Um, that, oh, let me see if I can still find it. But anyway, something to the effect that um, it's, it's, uh, uh, I'm looking through my notes, can't find them. All right, never mind. The other thing that he said that I really liked, um, I remember when he talked about how within a day or within hours, Israel was you know liberated and and freed you know after well he says 400 years sitting dormant but within 1 year is you know israel is saved from egypt and they're established as a nation they receive the torah and for me i was like wow well it's the same thing i saw a parallel you know it's the same thing with us when yeshua is revealed to us you know and we're born again just like that in a matter of minutes we were in one kingdom you know it's one of my favorite scriptures in colossians one you know we're transported from one kingdom to another, literally, you know, talk about cosmic translation. And I was like, wow, you know, there you go again. That's another pattern. And I, you know, I'm, you know, we know this. And, but it was just the way, you know, he, he put it that I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. You know, I remember vividly, literally, I went to bed, I, you know, I went to a prayer, um, a, a prayer, um, sort of uh meeting and uh you know the, the the preacher was talking about david and goliath and you know and then um you know and he said he said he pointed you know he very simply said was is there anyone here who would like to you know uh, know you know god as david did you know and be a friend? like because david was 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 Yah's friend and I was like and of course there was some history you know prior to that you know I had been talking to my aunt who had recently accepted Yeshua and she had shared with me lots and lots of scriptures and then I'd heard I literally heard a voice saying you know just three words on this forum you know um my my aunt had just made me read John fourteen six, you know, um, Yeshua says, I am the way, the truth and the life, and none shall come to me uh, except, uh, sorry, none shall come to the Father except through me. These, they were in French, actually, and then I heard the voice in French saying, c'est vrai, Rachel, you know, meaning it's true, Rachel. And I was shocked. I remember, oh my God, has my aunt also heard this voice? But anyway. So literally like the next day or two days later, I show up in this meeting and then the preacher says, you know, hey, someone wants to, um, wants to know uh, God or and be a friend to God or a friend of God. And I said, yes. So I went up and I prayed or he prayed for me rather. And then the next day. And so that's why this is this is where I'm going to land. Uh, my comment is just like what Tom was saying, you know, it took a while, but, you know, within, you know, you you were dormant, spiritually dormant, dead, as a matter of fact, that's what, you know, Paul says, so the next day, I was a changed person, I mean, I was like, I don't understand what's happening, I was just full of joy, the, 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 um, the, um, the, the, I don't even know how to explain it but I I felt such an emptiness and I was so young you know I was a teenager and it was gone and I in, instead I had such joy you know the bible talks about you know it is joy unspeakable and f- of glory and i kept singing my lungs out i mean until my neighbor was like rochelle what is going on you know so um yeah when i i sorry it took a while but i (coughs) loved you know when he said yeah it took a while they were there of course they had received some um promises and it was the same for me as well and i'm sure it's the same for for many of us here you know when you look at your how yeshua found us you know we have this and then within sp- split seconds we are redeemed and we are no longer you know we no longer are citizen of one kingdom but we're citizen of the celestial city
0: Jerusalem. hallelujah uh, and, hallelujah Hallelujah. Beautiful, Michelle, beautiful. Many of us have had that experience that great that great experience when that first you know, when we first came to that realization. Some of us can even attest to miracles that happened in our lives at that time.
8: Mm -hmm. Hallelujah.
0: It's wonderful,
4: wonderful. Mm -hmm. Lloyd, my brother, I see your hand. Yes, so I would just like to say once more, for you know how much I admire, um, and Tom, and um, I'm really grateful to God for allowing me to, to know this, man, you know, and to be able to receive, uh, you know, his, his teachings, uh, you know he's allowed to make a few mistakes to so, you know you, you know it's uh, 400 years or, two, or 215 years he's allowed you know yeah. um you know like in a few minutes he just summed up yeah that long like you know 215 years it, yeah. it, in a nutshell and he just put me on the scene as if I journey with them through this two hundred and fifteen years. You know, it's just absolutely amazing. And you know, sometimes we tend to um forget that the Hebrews are human like ourselves. Yeah. And we hold them at a higher standard than ourselves. Actually we have more about God than they had. And we forget that, you know they didn't have all that we have in the Bible. And they were taken into a pagan, you know, country with all kinds of, you know, pagan way of worship and so many gods, thousands of gods and so forth like and we expect them to, you know, after I removed from Abraham, their forefather, expect them to, we hold them at the same standard that we expect, you know. Like like Abraham and 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 you know Jacob and uh, Isaac, you know. Yeah. Um. But you know, for those of us who are from the African descent, like how many years since our four parents were taken from there, and how much do we remember about about Africa and the culture there, you know? But we expect them to follow, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just saying, you know, sometimes we should really, you know, cut them a little slack and. <laughs> you yeah. not saying that they were right to rebel and all that kind of stuff, but you take all of this Egyptian stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And um, the other thing I would like to say, I'm all over the place here, but, um, you know, uh, Tom mentioned about, you know, how uh, they were immersed in Moshe. And this is something you talk about, and that people like they were baptized into Moses And, and also that we talk about this, this rock that traveled with them. It's there in ten that the rock that gave them water, that it actually traveled with them, because sometimes we wonder, like, where did they get water from? And so like that, but... It was in the Second Corinthians that the rock traveled with them, and that this rock was the Mashiach. You yeah, know? you know. Again, I say I'm all over the place, but you know, he made mention about Balaam. you know, he's summing up some like he made mention about Balaam, and uh, um, you know, this man who uh, pagan man, and I, I, I sometimes. And people who follow the Jewish thing and they say, no, 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 you can't talk about Martin Luther because he was uh, anti-Semitic. You know, Martin Luther, who wrote the song, he was a pioneer, one of the pioneers in, uh, in the Reformation, right? And, um, and our God, you know? And some people don't want to hear anything about Martin Luther. Balaam, to to write what we call the motto of yeah and in every jewish temple you go they're they're saying the motto of first thing you know they enter the yeah. temple, you know so can use anyone you can use particularly can use anyone so that is my two cents thank you for your two cents lloyd much
0: appreciated uh, uh, you know like you said right you know even though like he says 4:30, 215 years is still more than enough for them to lose their, you know, to lose sight of who they were. Just think back. Can we think back to what life was like for our ancestors 250 years? We have no clue. We have no clue. 215 years is more than enough. In fact, today we can see in a generation, in one generation, for very eyes, how you we're watching it happen in kind of like in slow motion, but it's happening. Within one generation, things things can be quickly different so 215 years is more than enough time everything that tom said about that transition of them you know the hebrew nobites that came out of canaan and settling in egypt and being taken up by the culture and the whole egyptian experience swallowing them up you know is is, is very much still valid so yeah thanks thanks a lot for that uh, anyone else anyone else with a comment a question
1: i guess um when you think you just said it but um and made a note i just um that when they left egypt after being there so long like i say it's something i never considered but it it made me reflect and how um easy it is when we adapt something to let go of certain principles and certain things that we adapt in our lives and um even when I think about myself, you know, growing up, I've picked up habits um, that not were, may not have been good habits, but um, nevertheless they were part of my life. And then once I became aware of, you know, the things I was doing and that I needed to get away from certain things, I mean, in a short lifetime, I mean, this we just talking maybe twenty years, and it's some of it was difficult to give up much less. 215 years with the with Israel you know living in Egypt and then in one year they they ended up where they were transformed new laws the new Torah and you know so I guess when you look at it it might have taken up some people a lot longer to change bad habits than to pick up good habits so yeah
0: Yeah.
1: just a reflection in my head
0: yeah yeah What do you guys think about rituals? Uh, Rochelle talked about rituals, what it was like when she first came to the synagogue. And I was kind of like her. um, Like, I was raised as a very young child. uh, I was
5: just about to actually comment on on rituals. Oh. Go ahead.
0: Go ahead, Rochelle. Who, me? Yeah, I thought you were saying something. Hello? Yeah, were you saying something there, Rochelle? oh sorry
5: um yeah i was was about yes can you hear me yeah hello yes
0: yeah we can hear you
5: now we're there all right no i was just i was just thinking about rituals going back to the you know to what uh, uh tom was saying and i was thinking you know he said that um modern Christians don't usually like rituals and they don't see we lost you there value L- in ancient Hebrew rituals.
3: it's a really poor you're
5: cutting
0: out Rochelle yeah Rochelle you're cutting out
5: compare uh... but like you know bear with me it's like a routine type of thing you know we we all have
0: yeah.
7: Michelle, you Michelle,
0: Michelle, Michelle, you cut. You're cutting out. Your audio is cutting out quite a bit. Maybe she
7: was in movement. Did you move around? Move around, Michelle. Go back to where you were because we can't hear you now. I don't even I think, don't think she's hearing she us. Hear us yeah. Yes, I'll text her.
0: You're yeah. not yes.
7: here. I'm here. You're cutting no, you're out. Cutting
0: you're cutting out. My inter- you're cutting out. We, you, right.
5: Your right. audio is I heard that
0: yeah i heard
5: that so don't worry i'll I'll come back
0: yeah when my
5: internet is uh, yeah
0: okay Uh, you can try exiting and then coming back into the meeting okay that might work it usually works for uh simple fixes um so yeah let's pick up that conversation let's talk about rituals i was saying that um you know like uh like others when i got to the synagogue and seen that ritual having been spent many many years in the church right and basically it was there were no rituals there that well i guess you could say there were rituals but anyway uh it was like it was kind of like refreshing and a little to be honest it was kind of like refreshing because when i was a little boy growing up you know we went you know i I still remember all the rituals of the catholic church and all that stuff not that i you know was comfortable with it but it was kind of when i went to the synagogue and i saw that they had similar not similar but they had rituals too it was kind of like oh this is nice it was it was kind of honestly it was
8: i didn't like it it was nice i wanted to
7: leave uh, 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 can you hear me yeah i don't No, if you if you if you if you recognize this but this is a conversation rachel and i had when i was catholic we did a lot of things and i didn't understand why we did them um i like you love the book of hebrews as well because it really helped me to even understand and see the i I don't want to say correlation but it is kind of of that the the roman catholic church took over a lot of the symbolism and rituals of of judaism and until i went to a jewish this was even before i was born again this is when i was young and i had jewish friends because i grew up in a jewish community i was catholic they were jewish and i went to you know i went to bat mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs and i never understood like why the priest went to that little room and opened it up and took out the communion i just never understood any of the things that we did as a catholic until I I saw symbolism in the Judaism, and when I read the book of Hebrews, it all made sense to me. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? And so yeah. I knew when I went to a, a evangelical church. When I was born again, I kind of felt like they threw the baby out with the bathwater. I kind of yeah. felt like, oh you know, like it was all so unholy. But then when I went back. I mean, when I became uh, exposed to the Messianic movement, I too started to appreciate some of the rituals. However, I realized in retrospect that they were not sinful in and of themselves. It was sinful because we had no relationship
8: with God. Yeah. But
7: now when you have a relationship with God And like Rochelle said They become habitual, they become habits They become reminders, they become a practice A way of of of, of um, expressing ourselves And I, I have learned to now love some of them But it was uncomfortable Like I saw your wife's face I remember when I went to an Orthodox Messianic congregation I mean the Orthodox was a little bit difficult for me i mean i don't go to an orthodox i go to a more contemporary but but again i think no matter what people's rituals are if they're doing them in honor and out of love and adoration you know then it's not sinful but when you're doing them thinking that those rituals are helping you get closer to god or to become holy or to receive forgiveness of sin that's when it becomes i think um a sin, because it's contrary to biblical, you know, teaching, so. Yeah, and, and and
0: exactly, as you said, like, the, that's the danger with rituals, which is, I think, are great, but the danger is, and I saw some of this myself, is that people fell in love with the rituals. Yes. They fell in love with the rituals, and, you know, hey, I can't miss out on this ritual, you know, it's the ritual, it yeah, yeah. they make it, There's yeah, the they audience. make it like a little god instead yeah. of worshiping, instead of having that...
8: Connection, that
0: relationship.
3: Absolutely. Yeah,
0: that's the danger in it. Shelley, I see your hand. Jump in here and help us out. So I was just about to put it down
9: (laughs) (laughs) because um, Antoinette brought it to us. You know, the Hebrews talk about Kavanaugh. Yeah. And that's how we avoid, you know, the monotony of ritual. We have to have that intent because, and and I was going to just point that out, but she brought it to him. And there are scriptures that tell us that, right? Because he says to them, with all the sacrifices they did at the wilderness, he says, you think it was me you were doing it to? He says, I know what you had in your heart. You were thinking about all those gods in Egypt that you used to do it to. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, he, he tells them that plainly. When you read the Psalms, it was not me you sacrificed to. They were doing the ritual.
8: Yep.
9: But the intent of the heart. They were doing that ritual with the with the mindset of Egypt, where sacrifices were some yeah. wrathful God. Yeah. They didn't have the right intent, the right teaching, the right understanding. So you all kind of hit home at it. Like you do, uh, and most of us, uh, some of us, you know, I keep Catholic. in fact, today I have four children in this house. and So we go to Catholic school. So I do, my grandchildren know the Barakah in Hebrew, so we usually bless the food. And then, you know, the little fellow, I said, okay, what do you, he says, I know in, in school you learn grace before meals, right? So then I yeah. said, okay, so let's do grace before meals. Grace before meals, bless us, O Lord, and these are gifts which we are about to receive. From thy bounty through Christ our Lord. Amen. My grandson looks at me. You know that. <laughs> I grew up Catholic. Yeah. Did you grow up Catholic. You never forget that. Nope. <laughs> because the Catholic understood that. They say, give us the years of a life's nice child. And wherever you put it in the world, it will always yeah. be Catholic. Because of the ritual. But like you, I... When I first drove into the synagogue, the first thing that caught me were the stained glass windows. <laughs> yes, I
8: said, yes, yes. I said
9: to myself, What? <laughs> what is this, Lord? Like, I've come full circle. I've come back to Catholicism. <laughs> I'm going into a building with stained glass windows. <laughs> so now I'm even more curious. Enter yeah. this building. And then when the liturgy comes on, it's like, Oh, Okay. Oh, yes. But like yes. you like you, I it was very refreshing for me. The one thing I've always said, you know, and then a friend was asking me, so you think you're closer? I said it's not closer. I said, but every step from Catholicism to then the open evangelical thing to coming to open Bible where you open the book. Kind of preacher is preaching and you followed. I says, all those things prepared me for where I am now. Amen. Because I can tell you, when I first went into well, the non-Catholic, so whether it be Pentecostal or whatever, I used to think that these people were so unruly. They <laughs> had no, too. Order. Yeah, no order. Because yeah, you go yeah, into a not. Catholic church immediately, the way it's built, it's, it's designed that there's silence and you have to focus on heavenly things. You didn't have any talking and stuff, but I also found that, too, in the synagogue, because after the service and the ritual, it's like everything's done there, the parties, the carnivals. And I remember the first time Ellen talked about Purim and they're going to have a carnival. I was, like, about to jump out my clothes. and like, carnival? I said, that's what I got saved from, and they have it in the synagogue. Now it just goes to show, right? Carnival, you know what Trinidad Carnival is like. It's all about the value of the flesh. they naked now on the streets, you know, in reverie. So when she said carnival, it was like, oh my God, what is this? <laughs> carnival <Go> to then there's <laughs> some clungs and some cookies and some playing games. <laughs> but it was blow mind to me. But I must say that when you do the rituals, with that right intention. And that's mm-hmm. the that's the discipline for us. To Amen. come to it fresh every time. I don't know about you, but every five o'clock, five o'clock every morning, that prayer is still fresh. Mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. becoming a ritual. Yes. Because lots yeah. of things can become rituals. And I think that only happens. It's so interesting how the messages, we, we well, today was our meeting with our. Uh, You know, we have the meeting with Brother Gideon. And Brother Gideon's focus was on growing spiritually. And he gave a reference from the scriptures that it's a continual daily growth, continual. And this is how we approach these rituals, these rituals, because they are ingraining something in us, but you must have that right heart. And if it's not led by the Spirit, this is where we can get into the letter of the law, the letter of the instruction that kills. So we have to depend on the Spirit to give it that life. Another thing that I am being very much challenged with and, and have to bow, have to bow because, my God, I tell you, some of the words of Yeshua as they're being revealed in a different way to me now, I have to bow. Was that whole thing about, you know, I remember when our second rabbi came and he kept talking about the sages, the sages, and it used to piss me off. You too, eh? I am like, the only sage I want to know about is the sage Yeshua. He is the master rabbi. When you see the skill of Yeshua, how he will take the scriptures and just Pull all those pearls and link them to make a teaching and to pierce hearts. That is what I need to be emulating and demonstrating, being skilled in the word, yeah. so that when you speak, and it's not your own word, that you so rightly understand and divide and construct the scriptures that the spirit pierces men's hearts and, and works within them to bring in light money. And this is the master rabbi at it, so I did not want to hear anything about any other sages. Yeah. Yeah. However, it was pointed out to me on Monday night. Sometimes that is a, it could be a mask for pride mm-hmm. where we think that we don't need them or better. And the scripture they sent me to was Matthew twenty four thirty four. I believe it is. Do have it in? But I think it's twenty four thirty four. Where Yeshua tells them that it is God who has given these scribes and these wise ones and these whatever. God is the one who's provided them. So, and again, that phrase has come up like four times this week in conversation. I remember Rabbi Jack saying, do not throw out the baby with the bath water. He used to tell people, do even. Touch the Talmud until you understand your Bible properly and you understand Yeshua. But the point is, there are things we can glean. It's been given to them. They have an edge. In fact, the scriptures tell us when a Hebrew, one who is skilled, when they come to the knowledge of Yeshua, they're going to open this Torah and show us things we couldn't get because that's what Paul is saying. What is the advantage of being a Jew? To them was given the oracle. So I had to bow and say, Yeah, you know, it might be a mask that's kind of. So I, 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 I checking myself or taken in inventory. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Because we want to grow. I mean, like we come here every Saturday, we get all this knowledge, right? But what is it really we want? We want to grow into the likeness of Messiah. So may he help us <laughs> and may we really search ourselves. There are those who have gone before us. There are lessons. There are things that can be cleaned. And, and may we learn how to eat the meat and spit out the bones, but not throw the babies out with the bathroom. <laughs> and, 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 and so be united, right? Because it's a coming together. That's the one There's several things that I probably, because normally when I listen to a teaching, I'm taking note of things to pray. And one of the things that Tom mentioned was oneness is not sameness. So as we come together, all of us, we come from different backgrounds with different teachings. But as we focus and we really grapple with the word and what the word means, may may all of us strip away And the core of Yeshua really unite us and make us one. And so we be a force, you know, to to give the right picture of what we've intended to do as those who are called by his name.
0: Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Shelley. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And we're coming together in a few weeks time as one body to do some rituals, the Passover, right? What a strange bunch of people we are. What an odd bunch of people. Not at all like people in the world. Thank you, Shelley. Uh, Bernice? Don't forget to unmute Bernice.
2: I said I have very little to say to add to what Shelley had to say because some of what she said I was going to say. But I had the opportunity this week to listen to another Messianic teacher. And this Messianic teacher was giving an introduction to Leviticus, but he began with Romans 12, 1 and 2. Think about that for a minute. He began with, you can't understand what a living sacrifice is until you, un- it must be understood in the light of Leviticus. Yeah. The spiritual essence of who we are, who Messiah is, and who God has called us to be wholly acceptable, can only be understood in the light of this sacrificial system. And I was amazed that somebody should begin a study of Leviticus with Romans 12, 1-2. But when he was finished explaining the living sacrifice and our complete submission, our he said the living sacrifice is the same way we lay hands on that animal and kill the animals ourselves and drain the blood and cut out the flesh and pass it on to the priest and put it on the altar. He said that's what we have to do with our heart. We have to put it, we have to cut it out, cut out the things that do not belong to God. We have to cut it out and put it on the altar. Let it burn up and go up to God. And I said that he said, understanding the living sacrifice is to understand the entire book of Leviticus and why it's there. So I am still learning and I thank God for that. And every day for me, I am on a journey right now, and every day is bringing new revelation. Not a, a, I am not concerned about taking care of Roman Catholics or Evangelicals or any kind of, of, of denominational heresies. All I am concerned about is truth and following that truth. And the journey has been an amazing, amazing one. And to come to this point where I'm now beginning to understand Romans twelve one to 2, because I'm doing a study of Leviticus, makes me, puts me now in a position where I can look more closely at what we do. So I don't have any time. I came to this so open-minded because I wanted truth and nothing else but truth. So I have come to it open-minded, not with... The prejudices of Roman Catholicism or Evangelism or Pentecostalism or whatever isn't there is. It's, it, just, it just belongs to the ITES to me. It was all the ITES. <laughs> and I am coming to look at truth. And when you begin that kind of journey, you come to truths like these How do I become a living sacrifice for God? Mm. How do I become a living sacrifice for
0: God? Yes, that's the challenge. That's the challenge for us, Bernice. Thank you. Thank you for reminding us for that. Appreciate it. Uh, Lloyd and then Linda.
4: Yeah. and then um, and the other one was um, the Torah and kissing yeah. you know and um but after a while I you know I, I I looked into it and I'm like you know I thought of um Daniel who when he was taken to to Babylon who still opened his wind turned towards the line and pray three times a day. The promise made to the children of Israel, to Solomon, when he said, wait, if you shut up heaven and there's no rain, and we turn to this place, wouldn't you not hear from You, you, you know, it's not there, but it's your the holy okay. city, and this is the place where the temple was. So even though the temple is not there, I still believe that having that scripture made makes some turning toward
6: Yeah, yeah.
4: And the other thing is, is it, you know, or I'm like, there's so many people who after they read their Bible, they, you know, kiss the Bible, you know, and they find no problem at all with it but then they find someone touching the Torah, kissing the Torah and they're like, what is this? They're worshipping the Torah. But then the scripture tells us that that the word of God that Yeshua is actually the word yes. that becomes flesh. So with the right touching it, you're not worshipping this thing, this, you know, that we carry on our shoulder, really. But it's the word that's in it that become flesh and so so it's almost like you're kissing yeshua himself yeah you know if we approach it the right yeah, way yeah absolutely so that's my two cents absolutely
0: love it lord love it uh linda
3: Shabbat shalom everybody shalom. <laughs> um I just had one observation and that is uh, with our rituals and uh, with rituals generally and with sacrifices uh, coming from various backgrounds all of us when even in the temple when the animal was was uh, killed and his life uh, force was spilled uh even then Uh, the lord had asked that uh, you know the um, different parts of the animal had to be sacrificed especially the fat like the fat had to be burned and in order for the animal to be kept on the altar i find this part very intriguing and that is it they have flesh hooks they have flesh hooks on the altar which would actually like hold the animal in place so that with the grease and with the fire and with the burning it the sacrifices had a tendency to slip off the altar <laughs> so they would have these like flesh hooks that would actually hook these animals on so that they would stay, and, uh, and before they were actually burnt up so our um, willingness to stay in the Lord is often comes up with a very big fight with our flesh too because we tend to slip off that altar very often sometimes and uh, we tend to slip back into our own old ways and habits and a um, way of thinking but uh, we have these these um, um these hooks you know we are we are not just we're no longer conformed to this world any longer but we have been transformed uh, by the by the renewing of our mind so it's our mind that actually uh, keeps us on that altar um, with a dedication that is beyond even what our physical body can comprehend you know so that's that's that that is a part that I find very intriguing because even when we are constantly uh, battling with things in our life uh, every day, uh, sometimes our old habits tend to creep up, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So yeah. so that's my that's what I had yeah. to. Yeah.
0: Interesting. Nice. Thanks for sharing that, uh, Linda. Like may Ya always have his hooks on us
8: to keep
0: our on the. F- <laughs> On the altar, Men. because we're you know we're just like typical. Soon we would sometimes rather just slide off the ark away than uh, that's right. Mm-hmm. So he has his hooks in us, mm-hmm. and I'm happy about that. <laughs> yes. Okay. Great. Great. Well, thank you, everyone. Uh, any other comments or questions in closing? I think Tina is trying to. Oh, reach. Tina, yeah, I see you, Tina.
8: Um, actually, what I was reminded of when Linda was talking and staying on the. Oh, it's very clear we can't just ourselves as a living sacrifice nice. daily. Um, that's the only way we will not a matter of, you know, I go Sundays and I do something and and think it's, it's a daily thing, um, which is, it's hard to do in to, to, to the extent we want to do it. It's only the help of the Holy spirit. And it says, this will please him. And that's what we want to do to please the Lord. Um, because it is our temple worship so here we go back to the things of the past, the temple worship we're still doing it yeah. even though we don't have a temple we come from different um, religions backgrounds, but if we're called in Yeshua and we receive Yeshua, it will become that kind of a temple worship absolutely to do so uh, uh, that we cannot be to the standards you know, of, of the world because it will put us in every now and again so that, that becomes our ritual in the sense that each day we it's a new commitment, um, which is our heart of worship. So that we'll not be conformed, be transformed by the renewing of our minds us each day. It will be renewed, joyful, joyful becomes something we realize to do places and walking in one.